So because we're extension, our JavaScript is in the browser extension itself. So you can actually copy the code and put it in. So our CTO, Mike, was browsing through and he's like, this looks too similar to what we do, almost exactly what we do. Let me check their code. So he looks at it and basically he found his code in there. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today, A. Mo, is the co-founder and CEO behind the famous Gmail inbox extension, Boomerang. If you've ever used Boomerang, then you know that it was a genre-defining tool for snoozing email, for scheduling emails to be sent later. And if you're not familiar, you probably have used those features in other inboxes more recently but they were at the cutting edge vanguard a decade ago when they introduced their product. In this interview, I talk with Mo all about the early days of the company and how they found this market opportunity. She talks about defending software patents, the best dishes you can get in Burma, and her philosophy on work-life balance and productivity. I thought that this was a lovely conversation and I took away a lot of inspiration. I think you will as well. Here is my conversation with A. Mo. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Mo, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to be talking with you. Thanks for having me, Aaron. So I want to start off, um, you know, one of the uh, lines that me and my co-founder go back and forth, we, we will yell numbies at each other. Whenever we've got like a exciting number for us, it was growing our YouTube subscribers last year, uh-huh. or we'll close a deal. That's like one of the biggest deals we've ever closed. We'll go numbies. You've got some fascinating numbies at your company, <laughs> 11 people, 8 million in ARR. One of the, the all-time metrics for B2B SaaS is revenue per employee. And mm-hmm. I have to say that that is, you know, you're, you're close to a million per employee there. Mm-hmm. That's pretty darn impressive. Can you just talk about what the day-to-day looks like when you're operating a, a B2B, or I guess not B2B, but a, a, a software as a service company with those types of ratios? I think it's really about focus for us. We are super, super efficient and focused. And it's not ironic because we are a productivity company, right? So we are always thinking about how we work, how we work with each other, and how to optimize everybody to be at their best. So we don't have that many meetings. (laughs) All our meetings are in one day of the week, as much as we can. So Thursdays are a meeting day. And if the meeting ends whenever everything's done, there is no set time. So we are not like, hey, we have a 45 minutes meeting and you fill up the silence until that meeting time is over. When the meeting's done, everybody get off, we're done. So that's a lot of why we can be this efficient. The other part is we don't do a lot of the things just to, you know, the whole motion as progress, mistake and belief that people are doing a lot of action. So we ask everything we do, what's the point of this? And that's part of our company guiding principles is if you are, looking at a project, or if you are given a task, the first thing that everybody asks is what's the point of this? And really crystallize down to what's the purpose? What what problem are we going to solve? 
what experiments, we are very experimental nature. So what experiments are we doing? What is the learning we're trying to gain from this test? Until that's clear, we don't do it, which makes us very precise in spending our time and resources on everything we do. And every good entrepreneur is running experiments in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not in the exact way that you format yours within your company, mm-hmm. um, but even like the initial thesis of a company, the, the 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 you know speculation that this could be something of value or this could potentially work is a, is a experiment that needs to be run in the real world. Can you take us back and maybe build us up to today? Now that we kind of know the success that you've achieved, what was the original experiment back in 2010? And how have you grown out of uh, the learnings from that first experiment? So the first experiments was mostly we needed this tool where ability to snooze your email back to one you needed, right? And people have been doing all kinds of different hacks and tweaks in their inbox building. I don't know if you heard of it. There's something called 43 folders system where they put in day of the month and then 12 months and then tomorrow and then that's become 43 folders and they move email directly into them manually, that kind of stuff. So we were predictive nerds. So we were trying to like implement those ourselves and nothing was quite working. And we realized, hey, can we just build something that worked for us? That was the first experiments, right? So when we built it and it worked and we're like, hey, this is really neat. Like this is actually helping me, you know, focus on what I need to focus on today instead of having all these things hanging around in my inbox or just having this like mental defragmentation of like, hey, I need to remember about that email. They need to tell me about this in two weeks. All of those being cluttering in your brain, you can kind of offload it to the software. So we are like, okay, we build it. We try it out ourselves and it worked. So we started with, hey, friends, we built it. This is cool. Do you want this? And that got really good reception. So then we're like, okay, we're part of, you know, we, we, we were like huge fans of Lifehacker. So we're like, hey, Lifehacker, do you want to, you know, share this with your readers? So like our first like website was literally super ugly. There was no graphic design. We have an embedded Google form right on the page <laughs> as our go-to-market launch website. So we basically started with like, build this, see if it works for people. Okay, now it does. What do we do now? And then keep moving from there. And I remember, I think I downloaded Boomerang sometime around 2013 or 2014. I heard Mm -hmm. someone talk about it in a podcast as a way to, it had to be 2014 because I wasn't doing that much email back in college. Mm -hmm. And it was one of these things where it's like, well, when, how do I not just let email eat up the entirety of my day? Mm-hmm. Uh, the same way that plenty of people let meetings take up the entirety of their um, working hours. And, you know, the, the messaging of it made a ton of sense. Boomerang was also just kind of a clever naming device for that. Right. At what point did you see it transition from a tool to a business? Because, you know, now 8 million in, in annual recurring revenue, that's a, that's a real business. Um, but in the initial stages, like I think I downloaded it as a free extension. Yeah. So it was a freemium model. We started to see the promise because people were giving us, um, they asked to give us money, right? They're like, can I donate? 
to this tool that you've been building. I think it was mostly people just appreciating the value that it brought to them. And we were kind of, we did something clever. We said, okay, we don't take donation because we didn't want to be taken as hobbyists. We are like, okay, like if, you know, people are willing to pay without having to, maybe there's a very solid business in there. So we call it voluntary subscription. <laughs> and because of the word subscription, people started to donate in the order of like $12, $24 to like $120 on their own, right? Nobody's asking them to do anything. They're just like, can we give you money? Because it has, you know, brought me tremendous value to my business and my life. So we're like, okay, we'll take the money. Here's a voluntary subscription. And once we saw that, like, it wasn't one off, you know, one crazy person. And it's happened quite often enough that we are like, okay, this could be a subscription business. And that it moved from free to basically free trial freemium business in 2012. And we say, okay, we are going from, you know, everybody using it for free for however long they want to, you get first 30 days free. And then after that, we are going to get you to 10 message a month. And that way, you know, if you're a college student, you're using it lightly, you can still use it without being, you know, hindered by the subscription price. But if you are a business owner, or somebody who's working at a big company, you can just put it on the company card. So it basically grew from there. And this type of uh, tool really fits the, the shape of these kind of bottom up type mm -hmm. of sales motions where you're not going and hiring an enterprise sales force to have this rolled out across an org. Yeah. It's one person finds it useful, suggests it to someone else, or it's implemented within a small team and it starts to yeah. roll very similar to companies we've seen like Slack. The difference is yeah. I don't even know how many millions of dollars Slack has raised. And we saw them recently get acquired for however many billion mm -hmm. to, to Salesforce. You didn't choose that route. You, I think have raised about $400,000 in total. And I'm sure that grants you and your co-founders a ton of flexibility that, yes. you know, people on the kind of Silicon Valley funding track don't, aren't necessarily afforded. So take me through the thought process there in, 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 you are in Silicon Valley. It's not like you built this out somewhere else in the world where you just don't even have access to that market. Like you're adjacent to it and you made, I have to imagine some form of a conscious decision. I mean, we tried to raise money. We just couldn't at the beginning and then we became profitable. Then the pressure to raise just fell away. Right. Because we weren't going to die without their money. So we kept going. And the other part is we had three geeky engineers who really love building products. So we kept doing it and the customer kept responding very positively to it. So we kept going partly by accident, partly by circumstances. And also we were very like picky about, okay, who do we want to work with? Because having a VC on your board is in a way harder than marriage. You can't exactly easily divorce them, right? So, and we heard, you know, we have a lot of entrepreneur friends, founder friends having these nightmare stories. So like when you're profitable and you hear these nightmare stories about, oh, my board is doing this to me or my, you know, my VC is forcing me to do this on the product roadmap. All of that kind of got us super, super cautious about who do we work with. And the other part is we're a pretty crazy type of company because we're profitable, 
we've been, you know, donating schools in Burma. Like we built probably seven schools so far. Uh, we've been donating to climate research labs because we think that's the, the crisis of our generation. And we are not working on anything actively on it. So we better fund the people who are. And that kind of quirky stuff, you can't exactly do that if you don't have full control of the company. And then, you know, the same thing with the team and how we grow and some of the product decisions too, right? Like there are some part of the product decisions that we intentionally chose not to do, even though it may, well, it certainly will bring more revenue because we don't agree with the damage it will do to the email ecosystem. So they, so for very, very specific example, right? So we have a feature called read receipt, which is when I send you an email, I wanna know if you read it or not. A lot of the email productivity company implemented it as an invisible pixel in your email. So as the reader of the email, you don't know that you are being tracked, right? As the sender, I know exactly when Aaron opened the email, down to the second, which device and what uh, location. We don't believe that that's the information the sender should have access to just because you send me an email. I don't believe that you should have the right to know where I am and what device I am using. And so we basically implemented it so that as the reader, you will have the right to opt out and say, no, I don't want you to know that I read the email. And for even for the ones who don't opt out, we don't give them location, IP, or the device. We just say around this time, so-and-so open your email. Around this time, so-and-so click your link. So that's a respect for both sides of the ecosystem because we think that email is the less open protocol, right? Like we know that there, there aren't any more communication protocol that is completely open because you know Facebook, Twitter, everybody, everything we have now, Slack, they are owned by private companies. Email is the last one. And we really don't want to make it so that we only serve our user who are usually the senders. We wanna serve both sides of the table. And I'm curious to just go deeper into the product development story mm -hmm. of, you know, partially a smaller team means that you kind of can't go running down every single path that you might right. imagine, but it also, um, you know, it, it is, if you're already profitable, the, the, the choice to keep your product relatively simple. And I think that there's, if I go on one extreme, um, and I'm really talking about like a, a version of myself a couple of years ago that like, well, the, you know, it, once it's integrated into Google, I'm sure it's relatively simple to maintain and there can't be that much to it. Overly simplistic understanding of what you guys do to maintain it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, the, um, the, the challenge of actually keeping a product simple. Yeah. Um, so can you just talk about some of those other decisions that you've made mm -hmm. as it's been stewarded into this multi-million dollar company? There are a bunch of things that we have to do to just be alive in Chrome Web Store, right? Chrome and just extensions. Extension developer's life is very hard. If I see a new entrepreneur asking me, hey, Mo, I want to talk to you about this new extension thing that I want to bring, we are like, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> because you are at the mercy of multiple layers of controls and systems that are not, you know, quite logical and 
may not be the top priority for those companies, right? So you are always keeping up with different policy changes. So, hey, Safari is changing their API to this and it's going to depreciate in three months. We're, so actually our company, we dedicate December, the whole month of December, we don't do any new product development to just keeping up with all kinds of changes that everybody is bringing. So from, you know, Python language changes from to Chrome Web Store is going to require these new things to Gmail API is going to need this, Outlook is doing this, all of that. We work all of that in December, the whole month. So one out of 12 months, we have to resource everybody on that. That's just to keep alive. And then now that, and I think it's a great trend because when we first started, it was a wild west. Everybody can put whatever they want, put it out there. Everybody's installing access to your Gmail inbox. And there were some shady businesses that came out of that wild west and that were selling your data to, you know, hedge funds. And it appeared to you as a free product, but it's actually is not. There's a lot of different things going on. So around, I think, 2018, between 2017 to 2020, people were a lot more cautious of the data, where they're go, you know, where's my data going? Um, partly the government is also asking, hey, what are the developers doing with your data? So now Gmail has a very strict security process that we have to pass every year to actually go through and get certified by them to know that, hey, we are handling their data respectfully, securely, and not doing any shady stuff. And that's both time and requirements for, in a way, it's a little bit tougher for the new you know, developers and people who are coming in because that takes a lot of understanding of what they need and just monetary resources to actually like get through their security process. That's the main thing is like you have, you know, just to stay alive, that's the part. And then the product design philosophy there to make things simple to the user. And that's, I think, is our superpower as Boomerang specifically, because we build things that are not just, hey, I'm a Silicon Valley tech geek. I know how to use this to I am somebody in, you know, rural Canada, high school, vice principal, 59 year old, and I know how to use this tool. That's where we are really good at is we build things that somebody who's just using regular email user can just start picking up and using without training. Nobody needs to tell you how to do it. Uh, So there are a lot of things that seem super simple to you because it's one click to you that requires basically moving mountains on the back end. And example is our new meeting scheduling too. I think you've probably seen it when we booked the time, right? Yep. From your side, as you see it, is a very simple litter image that shows you the time that I'm available. But from the back end and all the implementation that we have to do, we are actually putting in a live image that is basically a matrix in your email that is calculating real time from the data that we have from the Google calendar and laying it out there, knowing what time it is. So 
that image that I sent to you back in December. Now, if you go open it, it slides itself automatically to this week. And that's the kind of work that we have to do, all the calculation, everything we need to make sure. And it works in every single email client. That's the other part. Because you know, you may be using Gmail, you may be using Outlook, you may be using any of the new email clients that are coming up. And we need to make sure that it will work regardless of what you are using. And in order to affect that vice principal in Canada in their late 50s, it has to be really simple, but it also has to kind of abide by this idea of like you talked about like the, you know, the super tech type they're playing with every single tool and happy to duct tape stuff together. But yeah. most people just need a little bit more productivity so that downstream, you know, I have a good friend who always talks about jobs to be done. Mm-hmm. Almost the job to be done of productivity yeah. isn't even necessarily the task itself. It's the condensing of the task itself to take up less time of your day. So that there's yeah. more time for the other things that matter exactly. most. Exactly. Exactly. That's basically the main mission of our company. Our, we know that we're not curing cancer. We are not, you know, sending people to Mars. We are not finding the, you know, solution to the climate change, right? But we are building the tools for you to be super effective at, because we're all knowledge worker. We need to be communicating with your team. You need to be dealing with all the things that are coming into your inbox calendar, all of that. If we can make it so that they are not taking up almost all of your time and condense it, then you will have the time for what you are meant to do, what, you, what your true love for your work is, right? And that's, that's why we build the tools that we do. And it's kind of the exact opposite of some of the companies, right? For example, Slack, they came out of a, a gaming company and they are really good at increasing engagement, right? They, they measure the time on product as a, a huge measure of success, right? When they go to their uh, investors telling them, oh, you know, our product is so successful. People spend X number of hours a day as a pride. For us, it's like the last time you spend using the product, that means we're effective. You are going back to building your masterpiece. And that's, the major philosophy difference. Well, it, it's kind of a weird analogy, but it's also like some of the the dating apps where you know the the, <laughs> yeah. the certain dating apps, their business model is predicated on you continuing to come back and um, yeah. you know cast your lore, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, you know, really, one that was kind of mission aligned with you would be like, "Hey, I hope you you find someone and you get married and you get out of here." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, amen. <laughs> um, the the other thing that's interesting is, and I I, I remember. Um, you know, it was, it was, once again, it's so hard for me to really contextualize 2013 or, or thereabouts with today, because something like scheduling an email does seem relatively, uh, like, like, like a common capability that one would have in some way, shape or form, whether or not they're using boomerang or some mail merge client, or maybe even mm-hmm. embedded in in some of those, uh, you know, Outlook and Gmail that you've mentioned before. Yeah. Um, but it, it was revolutionary to say, hey, you know, outside the bounds of nine to five, it maybe maybe yes. you are working from home or working remotely, or you're in a different time zone. Mm-hmm. You can schedule your email so that 
your message comes in at what's deemed to be an appropriate time. Yes. Um, and they're not like, wow, this psycho is, you know, emailing me at one in the morning right. um, for, for whatever reason that may, may cause them. Goes, but also, go ahead. It goes back to that, you know, respect for humans, right? Like the, the productivity and putting email on your time frame, right? Instead of, and like by your time frame, I mean, like I'm writing the email because that's when I have time. My kids are in bed at 9 p.m. But I really do not want my team to be responding and like, oh my God, you know, somebody send me an email, right? I'm the leader. So they see the email, they are going to respond. That's the respect for human outside of work. That's the respect for our boundaries between work and life and understanding that, hey, just because I have time right now, may or may not be the time they have. And just, and the other part is time zone too, right? You're you're in East Coast and you're morning person, you wake up, you're writing email at eight and you send it to somebody who's in the West Coast, that's 5 a.m. Is that a, you know, most optimal time for them to get a ping? Probably not. So that's just thinking about human and how we use technology and making the tool to fit our lives rather than, hey, what's cool and what's, you know, <laughs> what can we do with the technology, right? So it's different reverse way of thinking, put email on our timeline, and then everybody can have a easier time working together. Right on. The Going Deep podcast is underwritten by Piper Creative. Shooting, editing, and publishing quality content is overwhelming. We make it easy so you can save time, build your brand, and grow faster. Say hello at pipercreative.co. Can you talk a little bit about patenting software mm-hmm. tools like this? Because yes. to some degree, oh, I'm, I have I have so much to say. <laughs> well, I'm I'm super ignorant, so like I want to make sure we're building up from the from the ground up because you've you've been okay. through it. You really know a lot, right? Yeah, because- the concept that it would be a, a, a tool that gets iterated on, like we're used to mm-hmm. updates being rolled out with regularity and whether it's bug fixes or what have yeah. you, like, how is that even defined? What was the process? Like, just give me it all. So I'll give you from the company history too, right? So you're talking about scheduling email, the snoozing email. We invented it back in 2010. The concept itself of snoozing kind of exists, but never in the email client itself. You have to like forward the email to some address and then they bring it back. Like it wasn't easy to use and it wasn't like accessible to a normal person. So we brought that, but we did not have patent for it. So when we put it out there, it kind of caught on fire, right? It kind of started spreading. Then smaller other startups started copying. We couldn't do anything because we didn't have patent. Then because everybody has copied it for, you know, a few number of years, big companies like Gmail and Outlook, they started to see, okay, this is just a table stake now. We can put it in, which did have an impact on our business, right? So, and then as we continue to innovate, we started to build things like Respondable, which is our real-time AI assistant for writing better email. So as you're writing the email, we will actually analyze what you're writing, uh, run it through our machine learning algorithms and tell you your chance of getting a response and how to improve it so that you get a better response rate, right? That we actually patented it because by then we are profitable, have enough money and also being burned the first time. 
savvy enough to say, okay, we need to patent this part. So the way you patent it is the initial, both the, the method by which, that, that, that's the language they use, method by which you can do X, Y, and Z. So you can say, I am patenting the idea of snoozing an email. You can patent the method by which a person can snooze an email in an email client by clicking a button. And by doing so, we took it here. So like basically you patent the approach that you take. If somebody comes, comes up with a different approach to do the same thing, they can do that. So the same thing with our calendar scheduling, meeting scheduling thing that you saw, right? We patented the idea, the method by which you can include an image in your email that is live and showing you the available time slot that you can book. And that the fact that you, the recipient can click one button and can book it, we patented that method. So if anybody wants to do that, they can't anymore because we own that patent. But if they come up with some other way to do the same thing, but they can't do what we did. Does it make sense? It, it does. But the, the chasing down of perpetrators mm -hmm. um, is like this other interesting problem. Like I, I was, we're talking about uh, with a trademark attorney and he's oh, talking about like, yes. you know, who you can go do battle with in mm -hmm. certain legal spaces. And it's completely, once again, it's as foreign as your, your, your software skills are to me as, as someone without either of those specific skill sets. But the, you know, there's the premise of, okay, well, we filed the paperwork. And yeah. then if we actually went in, like, what would the cost be to, to have that legal battle? So, so my interpretation, correct me if I'm wrong, is that this is really most useful against the kind of big tech goliaths that might rip off a product yeah. as opposed to the like small scrappy upstarts wh where, you know, in, in a kind of decentralized way, you might play whack-a-mole. There seems to be like a real delineation of where the efficacy for a company like yours to go actually institute that defense would be. Yeah. I think a lot of the time though, the lucky part that, or I don't know if it's lucky part or coincident part is that the ones that we do have patent is technically really, really, really hard to build. So we haven't seen anybody copying the new parts that we have built, like the real-time AI assistant part. It's super hard to build. And the other part is we have the data that nobody else has, right? The reason that we were able to calculate the response rate prediction is we have eight years prior to that, knowing how many people wanted a response for that particular email thread and what that email entails, right? So most people don't have the eight years and millions of data points. So that's the good part of like, we have the defensibility of how to build having the data. The same thing with the calendar part. We know there are people, even a big companies, I'm not going to name names, try to build it. They put it out there and they couldn't keep it up. Like they, their stuff was just crashing. So they took it back out because they didn't know how to keep it alive. So that's the part. We have some upstarts companies earlier in the company career where pretty shamelessly copy some of the code itself. So because we're extension, our JavaScript is in the browser extension itself. So you can actually copy the code and put it in. So our CTO, Mike, was browsing through and he's like, this 
looks too similar to what we do, almost exactly what we do. Let me check their code. So he looks at it and basically he found his code in there. So you can do DMCA takedown because, hey, you have our intellectual property literally here. And that does take, you know, put people off and they have to take it back down, right? The smaller companies, the thing is usually if they do something blatantly, you're just like, hey, you can't do this. Here's a warning letter. You don't actually get into the actual, you know, lawsuits and stuff. Gotcha. I guess that makes sense too. Usually a strongly worded letter from a lawyer is sufficient. To <laughs> Especially when you have the actual legal standing is usually it works, right? For sure. For sure. Um, so last question here, and then we can kind of aim towards wrapping up Mo. Um, the company was, was boomerang. Like I, mm-hmm. I remember downloading the boomerang extension and using boomerang. It's now Baden. Can you just talk about the more recent evolution and shift? So Baden is actually our company name from the very beginning. It means uh, foretelling the future through magic in Burmese, which um, where I'm from. And the original goal of the company has always been to build software that feels like magic for you to use, right? And we use Boomerang as the company name, product name, and that's where we have been. Um, but we didn't really change like the legal name and the email addresses and things like that. And now we are shifting more on the meeting scheduling side and still thinking about, you know, the brand name and where we are. But I think we're basically going to continue on the just boomerang as the name that everybody know. It's just that we are trying to get more on moving people thinking boomerang is just email scheduling tool to we are a productivity suite that gets you you know what you need to do so that you can focus on what matters like you said before right on well i want to aim towards wrapping up here and and asking our standard last questions but before i do that i would consider the entire interview process very selfish because i get to ask all sorts of questions to smart people like you, but knowing uh, that you're from Burma and you can teach me some, whether it be cuisine or like must see places in Burma as the world uh, hopefully opens back up and we're able to to go places again. There is a a Burmese restaurant in Pittsburgh that I've been intending to visit. Oh yeah. What uh, delicacies or what would you would recommend that I look for on the menu? Um, our national dish, which happens to be my favorite dish. So like when I was a kid, I literally ate that every morning for breakfast. I have a tendency to like eat the same thing for like three months or so. I actually did that for like probably three years. Um, it's called Mohinga and it's a catfish chowder. So if you like fish and it's very strong flavor, right? There's fish sauce and um, lemongrass and onions and garlic. And, and then the, the interesting part about Burmese food is we layer both texture and flavor profile. So like if you get soup, you have the noodle and the soup. So that gets a little bit of soft and then the chewy part. And then you top with all kinds of crunchy bits and pieces. And then you top that with herbs and like cilantros and things like that. So it's like multiple layers of both flavor and texture. And that's kind of like how 
we approach everything. And then the other dish that I think kind of like pad thai in Thai food is a tea leaf salad. So if you go to the restaurant there, they will have, I don't think I've seen a Burmese restaurant in America that didn't have it so far. It's called tea leaf salad. It's a pickled tea leaf. So you take the leaf of the tea plant and pickle it with mostly salt and brine. And then you put crunchy beans and sesame and things like that, and then mix it all up. So that's a quiet taste, uh, but somehow it's really catching on with Americans, which is, I'm like delighted because I can get it easily now. <laughs> I go to a random rest, like grocery store in Berkeley and they have it on the shelf. And I was like, this is crazy. Like I did not imagine that, you know, being that available in America, but we do, which is delightful and strange. But yeah, that, those are two dishes. They are both pretty strong flavors and right you tweak it with your like taste. You can put spice, you can put, you know, more fish sauce, you can put lime to really kind of balance it all out. Beautiful. Well, uh, Pittsburgh's a little, probably a little bit further behind from like a cuisine standpoint than Berkeley. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my wife and I lived in Thailand for a couple months, so oh, we cool. um, didn't get make it over there. But uh, we have like one restaurant in Pittsburgh where like this is actually what it was like versus you know something that's kind mm-hmm. of distorted in some way, shape, or form. So I'm excited yeah. to go try that out, and I'll report back once I do. Anything that you were hoping to share today, Mo? Before we ask the last two questions, that I just didn't give you a chance to. I think it's more about, you know, how we think about productivity, like productivity is not about doing more. Productivity is, it's more about doing things that are most effective and most intentional about your goals. And thinking about that in a matter of how to fit those priorities, right? Because like people think of productivity and like if you build a productivity tool, your goal is to do more and more and more. And that's not, at least that's not the point for me as the tool developer is to make sure that people are getting what they want out of their day and over time compoundingly out of their life, right? And the other part that I want to talk about is People think a lot about like, oh, I have a task that takes three hours, where do you fit it in? I want everyone to really start to see their day as a rhythm. And like, do you know your chronotype? I do not. So about 15% of people are morning people, right? They, they wake up early, their energy peaks early in the day. And then about 20% of the people are owls, like they, they're energy peak way late in the day. And then the rest of it is in between. And knowing your chronotype can really fit one you should do, which tasks, and what type of tests during the day. And it's super fascinating. So like, if you are a morning person, you want to do analytical things, you should do it in your peak time, which is early morning. And then if you need to do kind of the administrative, you know, things that just needs doing that doesn't require your peak brain power, you should do it as your kind of the, the lower energy part of the day. And then when you need to do your creative tasks, do it when you recover. So everybody has the peak, and then the trial and then the recover 
pattern and knowing what time and fitting the test during those time is you don't fight your body energy level with what you need to do. And that's, that's been the like most critical insight for me to like hack my own productivity day to day. I love that. I definitely am a morning person. So I think that that okay. pattern makes a lot more sense. And you're lucky because the world is kind of built for morning people for some reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I never thought yeah. about it that way. Um, cool. Well, I learned a new word. I didn't know the word chronotype and I keep learning throughout this uh, conversation, but this has been fantastic. I want to make sure that people check out uh, Boomerang, Baden, everything that you're up to. What digital coordinates can we provide for people if they want to learn more? Uh, all the tools that we have is available on boomerangapp.com and they will see our Gmail outlook. We have an iPhone app, so you can just download and start using on your phone for all these tools. And we have an Android app too. It's being updated. So if you go now and wait a couple months and we have a brand new Android app coming out. Um, and then if you want to find me personally, find me on Twitter at AMO, A-Y-E-M-O-A-H. Beautiful. We're going to link all of that in the show notes for this episode in the podcast app. You're probably listening to this right now or at goingdeepatherian.com slash podcast for every single episode of the show. Before we let you go, Mo, I'd like to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. Oh, that's hard to choose, but I think I'm going to go with, and because it's, you know, the time of new year and people are trying to set up great uh, personal habits and thinking for their year, I would like you to go and write down the next five days or so, the next five work days of I get to versus I have to list. So everything that you have to do for that day, kind of look at it and reflect which ones are the ones you kind of consider I get to do this, right? So I get to go on a podcast with Aaron, right? Um, Or I have to file my expense report for last year, right? So kind of put it down and have it as just a written list for the next five days. That will kind of give you a reflection of where you are getting energy from, which tests are giving you excitement and energy and the ratio of it. If you are starting to see the 100% of your tests are on the I have to list, maybe something needs to change. What can you optimize? What can you change? Or if you have 100% I get to, then you're the luckiest person alive because nobody gets that in a way, right? So try to make sure that you have at least, you know, 30 to 50% of your day filled with I get to. I love that. Well, I'm really glad that I got to talk with you here for this last hour or so, Mo. It was a pleasure. I learned a lot. Thank you for sharing time with us. Thank you so much. We just went deep with A. Mo. Hope we're not there. Has a fantastic day. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.